And the other big challenge I see is everyone says consumption. We're going to do all the billing at the end of the month. So now month end is, well, collect all the raw data, you know, mediate the raw data, you know, summarize it all up, put it through a rating engine to figure out what the bill is, add tax. My revenue is dependent upon it. Now it's taking me, you know, one, two, three days to do that. And the close is like pressure. I don't have any visibility to revenue all month long. And there's a lot of challenges. And I, I just look to other industries. I say, telco and, and utility industries figured out, I don't know, 40 or 50 years ago, don't bill everybody in the one day of the month. Dollars. Dollars. Meaning you work with numbers? Oh, it's so much more than that. Modernization by streamlining the process. So let's get right down to business. And modern problems require modern solutions. Elementary, my dear Holmes. Elementary. Consider it done. This is The Closers. This episode features an interview with Jeff Johnson, Managing Director in the Consulting Services Practice of Ernst & Young. Now here's your host, M. Daigle, Passionate Revenue Accountant, RevRec Automation Expert, and General Manager of Zora Revenue. Welcome, everyone. I'm joined by Jeff Johnson, Managing Director in the Consulting Services Practice of Ernst & Young. Jeff, thanks so much for joining me today. Hey, Emily. Thanks for having me on again. Good to see you. Likewise, it's always been a pleasure. Um, you and I have gone back a number of years, probably too many to count at this point. So super 10, excited 11. to have you on. <laughs> Has it been that long? So for everyone, yeah, for everybody listening, um, Jeff has actually helped me through a couple of um, automation uh, initiatives over the years. And so and now we get to work together in a slightly different way um, where our companies partner together. So very, very exciting to chat with you here on the podcast today. Let's talk revenue. So first of all, before we get jump in too much, would love for some of our listeners to get to know you a little bit. We're going to start the episode with our off the ledger segment to get to know you a little bit before we get down to business. So let's roll. I'm curious if you can share something with us, maybe something you've heard that people think about us accounting leaders that is totally false. Oh, everybody thinks accounting is boring and it's not. <laughs> Revenue accounting is really exciting. Um, <laughs> and it is. And it's really hard and it's really complex for a lot of organizations. And I think it's underappreciated in a lot of organizations, but um, I've got a passion for it. I like it. It's fun. It's really how companies operate. You learn about how they do operate, what differentiates them. And and uh, for me, I get to blend accounting with systems together and it kind of makes it a little bit more interesting. I could not agree more. I think I was about to give up on some of the accounting aspects of my career previously until I came across revenue accounting and all of the um, possibilities with technology, which has completely changed the trajectory of my career um, and where I ended up. So before I go to my next question, curious how you ended up um, with EY in the role that you're in. So I've been putting in ERP systems for coming up on 40 years, a long time. Um, and, and through those years, probably 20 years ago, working with some software companies, they wanted help automating 97.2, you know, out of ESO allocations and things like that. So I had no idea what it was, but I had an accounting background. And uh, I learned about revenue accounting, working with my clients, trying to do automation in and around the ERP system. It usually involved the customization to the ERP system or some heavy add-ons. And then uh, it just became kind of a specialty just because you do it once and all of a sudden you got to do it again and again. More companies have the same situation. 
and I met the uh, the, the, the Leo guys with Repro in 2011, working with a client down in Atlanta who wanted to automate revenue accounting. Was looking at package software, which was really wasn't really quite the first ones in the market, but it was still relatively speaking early days. And uh, and it's and, and you know it's kind of stuck with me. Then ASC 606 came out, and all the rules changed. Um, or the rules as I knew them, they, the principles changed uh, in 2014 and just kind of turned a lot of things upside down. Made a lot of non-software companies have to adopt things that software companies had generally already adopted. So the market became broader and uh, more demand for the services. And, and actually, I, I, I enjoy it. You know, it's a tough topic. Not a lot of people really do really hope, understand it from a operational side. Uh, technical accounting, a ton of people I understand that, but the operational side of the record keeping, how do I make the systems pull the data together, give me the right answers? It's 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 a small, small uh, universe of folks like us that do that. <laughs> it is a small universe. We're small but mighty. So so one of the things on that same sort of topic that I love to ask every guest is how do you refer to the holistic revenue process? So we get sort of a different answer almost every time. So curious how you think of it. Is it order to revenue, quote to cash? What do you think of it as? Yeah, I know we think of it as contract to revenue because order to cash is I've got an order, I'm going to fulfill it, I'm going to invoice it, I'm going to collect my money. And it really doesn't include revenue accounting. The assumption there is the invoice is revenue. And because it's not for so many organizations and I could be taking revenue before I invoice, generally not taking any revenue before I fulfill, but I could be taking revenue up front. So if we think about contract to cash, the source document is really the contract, which may end up being an order. It could be a subscription, could be both, could be a project, could be a variety of things from more from an ERP perspective where the, where the data starts. But the contract is really the baseline. And sometimes it's the nuances of the contract, what's written into the contract that doesn't get captured in an ERP system. Uh, acceptance terms, things like that, right? That really will influence the revenue accounting. So to me, it's contract, it's a revenue, you know, billing and billing is important. I need to know where I'm at on my balance sheet, on bill to deferred or not at all. Cash is, you know, real obviously important to companies, but it really doesn't have much to do with revenue accounting uh, unless you happen to be on a cash basis. Couldn't agree more. I love it. And such a simple explanation. So well done. Thank you. Excellent. Okay. So moving into your work, tell us a little bit about the current work that you're doing, but also like what has you actually interested and excited right now compared to maybe what you've done over the years? Yeah. So it's interesting right now. So historically worked a lot with tech companies, a lot of software companies, um, and most software companies have moved to as a service. So they've got SaaS offerings or pseudo SaaS offerings could be, you know, term licenses that are they're renewing every year, every three years or whatever, um, you know, similarities in the accounting going on there. The move to consumption is, has been picking up steam for a while. So it's not new anymore. A lot of people are doing it. A lot of people have seen the benefits. The data shows the benefits of consumption for both the customer and for the vendor. Consumption models, I'm seeing, you know, with one client in particular getting, you know, really out on the leading edge and that's okay. It's just hard to think through. And think through the operational mechanics of that. And then what's interesting is the, the companies that aren't tech companies that are introducing technology products, connect, say, equipment with value-added services and software on top of it. And all of a sudden now they look like all the big tech companies that are selling hardware, software, and services. Yet they may be in the medical device business. They may be in the automotive business. They may be in, I don't know, heating and air conditioning or whatever, right? 
And a lot of them are a bit challenged in understanding all the nuances and things that the tech companies just know by the back of their hand. They do it all the time. These other organizations are learning it. And so there's the learning curve going through it and the, and the, the automation side, the operational side of making sure you collect the data and you can do the accounting. There's also a really kind of a you know, really interesting piece to me is looking at the new offerings because if a company launches an offering and it's successful or moderately successful or whatever, and they, they enhance it. They want to modify it. They want to add things to it. They want to expand it. And the accounting teams, you know, aren't sometimes involved, but your product teams coming out with, hey, we're going to do this. We, you give it away for three, for three years. I'm like, no, nothing's free from a revenue perspective. And so shaping the deal, getting the, the technical accounting teams that are clients involved with the product development, the commercial teams to say, what is this new offering? How do we want to offer it? Where are we offering it? And then helping guide them on the implications of the record keeping and saying, well, if we do it this way, it's going to be easier to keep the books and account for it and measure from a management perspective, success, product line, P&Ls, things like that. That's really interesting because I think that's a missing link for a lot of companies. You just hit on so many interesting things. So let's unpackage a lot of that in more detail. So first and foremost, the thing that you said about um, so many different industries now are introducing as a service x as a service which used to me yeah exactly and it's so interesting to me now because like you mentioned a few like med tech or um, maybe it's pharma and life sciences some you know something around that but it's funny we've even seen things like um tires becoming you know tires as a service which was kind of you know something i had never even thought of we're seeing different things like home security as a service. There's so many different areas. What are some of the most interesting ones you've come across? I think there's a lot out there. And I think a lot of organizations are not afraid to try something. And we'll see if it really succeeds or fails, right? And so some of my scratch my head, I say, mm, it doesn't really feel like it's going to be. It. But it's just my personal preference. I'm not in that industry. I like the equipment companies creating software and connecting their, to their equipment and other equipment, other third-party stuff. And layering value-added mm -hmm. services to you know digitize the business. I think there's a real upside in the market in general for that for B2B and B2C. A lot on the B2B side, I think B2C sometimes you know leads with a subscription, you know, the, the Netflix, HBO type of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then you get to the B2B and it's a little bit of a harder sale, especially with an enterprise sale. But I think there's a lot more upside to there. I think it's pretty exciting uh, to get there. Yeah. But I think everyone's kind of learning what it, what it, what does it really mean. Hey there, I'm M. Daigle, Passionate Revenue Accountant and General Manager for Zora Revenue. I've been working on something really exciting that I don't think you're going to want to miss. On September 12th, we're going to be hosting our very first Modern Accounting Summit with our friends at EY, PwC, and Deloitte. It's a virtual event and we're offering CPE credits for it. So please join us as we talk about our State of Revenue Accounting report, we're also going to be talking about generative AI as it relates to accounting workflows, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion with a number of accounting leaders. So again, you're not going to want to miss it. And if you can't join us live, please still register because you'll be eligible for those CPE credits even when you watch on demand. Hope to see you there. Let's jump to the general ledger. You know, you mentioned also uh, a lot of companies now thinking about consumption-based pricing. 
which I think has worked its way into just about every conversation I've been having, you know, over the last six months or so, maybe even up to a year. Curious from your perspective, you know, one of the things that I see is we're still sort of talking about it. And I see more companies still a little bit, I don't know if timid's the right word, or maybe they don't even really know how they're going to be approaching the process and automation piece of that. Curious what you've kind of seen and if you see companies sort of getting stuck in that theoretical model as opposed to the actual execution phase of consumption-based methods, but kind of curious what what you kind of think of and what you're seeing in with your clients. Yeah, I think on the execution side, if I think about process automation, I think it's it's a secondary or tertiary thought. It's down the stream. They're thinking about go to market. How do I grow revenue? How do I not cannibalize existing revenue? How do I maybe disintermediate, you know, some middlemen? You know, what do I do from that standpoint? What's the market really going to accept? And, you know, maybe equipment. If I do equipment as a service, what's the difference between that and my own existing leasing option? So trying to struggle with what the value prop is to the customer, what's going to make it stick? And then what's the impact to the company? Because with equipment, you're tying up your capital, you're tying up your cash, right? So there's there's a bunch of aspects of that thing to get through the strategy side of it. The operational side of it, I still think what I see is a lot of organizations will tell the accounting departments later on, hey, we did this thing. The deals just start showing up. And you assume I can do monthly invoicing out of my ERP system, which I can. But some of them say, well, I got to put an order in every month. So now instead of doing one order, I'm putting in 12 orders a year, right? Um, so being able to manage it as a subscription where I, I add on, I add on consumption on a, on a monthly basis, which is going to vary. Uh, those things aren't really well thought of out of the gate. Um, and I think they deserve a little bit more attention. You know, if you're going to do a tiny little launch and try something, you can make mistakes. But once you hit that scale standpoint, you really got to have it all thought out. Um, and the other big challenge I see is everyone says in consumption, we're going to do all the billing at the end of the month. So now month end is, well, collect all the raw data, you know, mediate the raw data, you know, summarize it all up, put it through a rating engine to figure out what the bill is, add tax. My revenue is dependent upon it. Now it's taken me, you know, one, two, three days to do that. My close is under pressure. I don't have any visibility to revenue all month long, and there's a lot of challenges. And I, I just look to other industries. And I say, telco and, and utility industries figured out, I don't know, 40 or 50 years ago, don't bill everybody in one day of the month. You know, if I sign up today, Whatever today is, that's my anniversary every month of billing and my consumption's based on today and just keep it. And I get rid of proration. I get rid of a lot of things that make record keeping hard um, because the systems can handle that now more automated versus force feeding it to, well, there's 31 days this month and 28 the next. And I signed up on February 27th this year, but it's leap year and I get two days. Those things need to be thought out ahead of time. To your point, though, it's when you get to the operational piece, it's like another whole world beyond just thinking about how to to launch that consumption model in the first place. Do you see companies at all starting with a particular consumption-based model versus others? Like, do you see them starting with, for example, a pay-as-you-go and then moving into something that includes something more of a commitment, um, for example? Or is it really sort of different across the board? What are you seeing? No, I think things like commitments are more advanced topics. To, to understand what it is and then get your get your sales motion going to sell commitments to a customer and, and understand the customer understands the value prop of a commitment. I'm going to spend a million dollars with you this year on stuff, right? So that's much more mature. I think Paygo is 
is popular as a start, especially if you're selling to small businesses, individuals and small businesses, which feels like a B2C sale. People can put in their credit card, hit the credit card on a monthly basis. You know, the, the usage, whatever's being metered may, may change a little bit, but, but it's not exotic. But I see quickly in, as you get to more medium size and large size enterprises you're selling to, the customers will see the value of the product or, or service offering in a different light. They may not like all the components, what you offer, but some of them are important. And they'd rather pay based on those more important topics and not pay for the lesser important topics that you may not use at all or I may use just occasionally. And so then you see the consumption model start to evolve where I negotiated a deal with, you know, my biggest deal ever. And we did all these, you know, concessions on the metrics and now it's mainstream. And then the next one comes in and it's a little bit different. It's a little bit, how do I scale that? Or, or once I have so many snowflakes out there, how do I rationalize it down and standardize it more so I can get volume throughput without people having to touch them all, make judgments on all of them? Yeah. Curious if you can kind of talk about, you know, is there more of an issue or challenges that you see upstream with the data capture, you know, getting all of that usage data that feeds into the system for the billing aspect and then downstream the revenue? Or do you see there being more of an issue or maybe similar an issue on the downstream side where maybe it's the reporting and understanding how these different consumption-based models might be working or not working to be able to make some of those strategic decisions? Do you have a viewpoint on that? There's definitely challenges with the upstream side of capturing the data. Um, and I think holistically, even if I just think about revenue, not all the data I need for, for revenue accounting is necessarily captured in the upstream system. Go back to my example of acceptance criteria on a, on a contract. It's never, it's not a flag. So it's not captured. So I think, you know, seeing the revenue accounting teams get all the information, they're doing RevRack in month end and they're collecting other data and augmenting it to get to their revenue results. I see that a lot, right? They create workbenches, spreadsheets, whatever it happens to be. So I think a lot more data capture upstream can be automated. Just it's really tracing it back and saying, here's where we first cap. We know about the data. Let's capture it and flow it downstream, so the accounts don't don't have to do up month end. That data then becomes available for reporting and metrics and analytics. Until then, I don't have it, so I don't know. So I don't know if my consumption model, whatever model, is working well until the accountants at month end find all the additional data, put it all in there, and then I kind of kind of rebuild backwards to get what I want. The capture upfront, I can I can you know measure it all the way across, right? So that's a really key piece. Controls is the other piece that, that um, we think a lot about. So especially in consumption data is, okay, how am I measuring whatever I'm measuring, right? What are my controls around it for adding to it or I'm taking away? So you get to service level agreements. You get 20 units a month for whatever you're buying or you charge for 20, whatever your, your model is, but I'm not happy. So I'm going to give you 10 credits. Well, am I backing off 10 I've already billed? Or am I adding 10 more to the pool that's available to you? And where's the sign-off and approval and tracking of that 10? Because there's a revenue adjustment, possibly, right? Or maybe it's being written off to a reserve. So I want that adjustment to go to the right place on the balance sheet, right? So those controls aren't usually thought of in advance. And they come up later on. You say, oh, what am I doing here? It can't be willy-nilly, right? Then, then the customer viewpoint is, I, I want transparency. I want to see what's there. I want itemization so I know and I'm comfortable and I trust you. So when the bill comes, I'm going to pay the bill. Right. Or if we're having a dispute or whatever, I see what happened and we can have an intelligent conversation about it. So I think there's customer benefit. I think there's a lot of accounting benefit. And in the analytics, like you captured up front, the data is much more, it's, it's available much more quickly for me. 
you know, it's there all the time. I can be looking at day by day and trending and everything else to say, this is working, this is not. And I can get into micro adjustments of my model. I can say, next month, the first of the month, I'm going to tweak my model. The first of the quarter, whenever I want to do that and, and not wait, you know, six, nine, 12 months and say, hey, that didn't work. We need to do something different. Yeah, I, I agree there. And, you know, it's something that I think each organization probably goes through a, a different journey in how they actually reach kind of each of those steps while they're going through defining what it is that they need to capture all the way through what it is they want to measure. So the other thing that you mentioned, um, which is something that I both believe in and um, also wildly in violent agreement around trying to include accountants sooner, but you mentioned something around a lot of times, especially with these consumption-based models or, or introducing any sort of new model or offering, is the time in which the accountants are brought to the table. And so would love to hear your perspective on that. You alluded to it a little bit initially, but curious if you can speak to that a little bit and maybe where you've seen it work or not work based on when those accountants have been brought into the whole overall process. So I get two examples where I think it works well, right? One works, I think, exceptionally well. Client's chief accounting officer is a brilliant guy, understands it, understands accounting, has a strong enough personality to get engaged with the commercial team and look at the offering and say, this is going to cause us problems. You know, problems can be just extra work for record keeping, not like errors, but extra work, right? It'll be difficulties doing it. And if we make some changes here, it's going to streamline it, make it a lot easier. Um, things things will I'm going to go away, right? The problem areas will go away because they've been handled in, in a way. So it's, I call that shaping the deal, shaping the offering to be operationally efficient as well as commercially viable. So that's a good example where this person gets engaged heavily and help shape and alter things, right, to make it streamlined. Another example is a, a company that's kind of new to the as a service business. A lot of brilliant people that I'm working with, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be involved with the commercial team, the product team, as well as the accounting team, and going through that learning curve and looking at what the commercial team wants to offer as they launch a service. And you get the, the combinations of a little freemium, little premium, you know, stuff like that as they're getting in there and looking at it and say, well, this has these downstream effects. You know, if I give away a year's worth of service for free, I got to take that money away from maybe my hardware product. And that's a new concept, right? Or if I have cancellation for convenience at any time, you know, I have a certain accounting outcome. Or if I have cancellation for convenience for the first 90 days, but not for the next 33 months, that revenue contract is kind of interesting because for 30, 90 days, I don't have a contract. And for the rest of the contract I do, when am I doing allocations? When am I not doing allocations? So the operational side becomes important. So helping the accounting team get engaged more with upstream and have the conversations and they dialogue around the offering and they're working together to say, how do what can we do? Because we can do things. The commercial team just doesn't really understand revenue accounting. We can do things to shape it. It's commercially viable. It works for accounting and, and getting to an easier answer that has hopefully the same benefits of you know the customer into uh, the company. Totally. Now, do you have any recommendations or advice to our listeners about how they might get invited to the table a little more sooner? You know, we we always talk about the need for that, but a lot of our listeners are accounting and finance leaders, as opposed to those folks who would we would want to proactively invite us to the table. So any advice you have for those folks in how they might be able to, to get to the table sooner, if not 
proactively invited? <laughs> don't wait for the invitation. Um, <laughs> because a lot of times the other organizations just don't know. They don't know what they don't know. So they would never even think they should invite you to the table to have a conversation. And just asking, saying, hey, you know, I'd like to learn more about what we're thinking about coming about, the product future, the product strategy, the channel strategy, distribution strategy, whatever it happens to be, to understand more about the business. And that's really going to be the CFO, CAO, probably initiating that conversation because they've got the juice to kind of get in there. And then bringing in, you know, key people in the team to say, pair them all up, let's learn and understand. And then there's education to give, so it's give and take, right? Hey, you know, so these types of offerings that we have result in all this workforce downstream. And if this was shaped a little bit differently, we could avoid all this stuff that causes us, you know, challenges at month end, makes reporting difficult. You know, a lot of the product teams are looking at product line profitability, product revenue, things like that. And what drives you nuts is, hey, I booked a deal for $100, but I'm only getting $80 in revenue. Where's my other $20? So it makes it real for them, right? Why why is software subsidizing professional services, right? You see that happen a lot due to allocations. So there's education to say, this is what happens with discounting. This is what happens with, with free things, concessions, giveaway, whatever, right? And now they know more, they're going to say, hey, we're thinking about this. So does this work okay? And, hey, make sure you run it by Emily. Make sure you don't, and it's not really necessarily an approval, but they're looking for your input. They're consulting with you. It takes a little bit of time, but you have to ask to get to the table. To be there. I agree. You know, and I've been in situations previously as well where once we were able to sort of get to that point where we really were partners in the business and it wasn't an us versus them kind of conversation, it was amazing how proactively I was brought into the conversation and when they could see and understand that my involvement actually helped to fast track some of the things they were trying to do. I think that's where like ongoing, it became easier and easier. And then no longer felt like I had to ask to be there. It was, they were proactively coming to me. So I think that's a great, a great um, piece of advice. I mean, everybody likes the green light. They don't want the, the deal prevention team, right? But if you can yeah, come in and like, <laughs> exactly. green light things faster, that makes sense for the, for the company. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes that, right? Just good. Let's go. Let's do more of those. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit. Um, I know a lot of times your clients are bringing you in to advise on vendor selections and solutions that they might be thinking about. So curious if you can speak a little bit to how you might educate your clients and provide really unbiased information to help them navigate what their tech stack looks like and what they might need based on their current situation. Yeah, so we do a fair amount of that. You know, generally speaking, the rule of thumb is look to ERP provider first for functionality. So revenue accounting functionality. Most of the ERP providers provide some capabilities in that standpoint, but it's not necessarily the be all end all, right? You see very few, if any, really selling their revenue accounting module as a standalone best of rate solution. In fact, there's none that do that, right? So generally the vendor is trying to to provide enough functionality that's going to meet the needs of most of their customers. Most could be 50 to 80%. So if you're one of those vendors and you say, oh yeah, most of my customers, this is good enough for them. I just need to be able to do a revenue waterfall and deferred revenue reporting and handle maybe a little bit of unbilled. Good enough, right? Go for it. Buy the ERP vendor because it's integrated. It's it's the same vendor. Most of them, the module is free. It's built into the, the financials license. So they're not paying any extra money for it. 
and the IT teams have skills in it and the user interface is the same. There's a lot of reasons to go there. The key thing is not to assume that it works for you. So, hey, XYZ has a revenue module, so let's just put it in. It's kind of a blind assumption that's going to meet your needs. So I always say, look, we need to build some use cases, build them out in Excel. I want to see, you know, here's a three-year deal, float out for 36 months. I want to see billing. I want to see revenue. I want to see fulfillment. I want to see what's happened on my P&L balance sheet as if that one contract is the only thing the company did and say, this is what I need. I need the revenue calcs to come out like this. I need the billing, the deferred and unbilled to come out like this. So I'm looking at the journal entries at that month and they could flip-flop in between, right? If I have allocations, here's where the allocations are. Here's where they're hitting my balance sheet as an offset. Maybe, maybe not. I want to see all that activity. And then you can sit down with the vendor and say, show me how you do this. Show me how, you, you know, A, B, C, D for requirements. Show me the journal entry output to make sure that subledger is feeding my GL with the data that I need to feed it and not just giving me something that I have to make adjustments to. Because historically, revenue accounting is, hey, invoicing is revenue, and then I make adjustments. I'm tired of that, right? From an operational standpoint, it's like, let's get it right the first time. Let's not always make adjustments to another system that's not doing it correctly. So when you flip out of there, you look at the use cases, and I'll ballpark, say, 20% of the cost of clients out there, meet the, the vendor's ERP solution doesn't meet all their needs. And if I get a couple edge cases, doing a spreadsheet, it's quick and easy for a couple edge cases, right? But if I have a volume of it, and these long these are long-term contracts, right? And so I may have to touch them every single month or at least review them to say, has anything changed, right? Maybe nothing's changed, but I can book that recurring every entry month. So I say I'm touching it every month. The volume gets bigger and bigger and bigger every deal I book because nothing's really falling off the list, right? Until they all come to renewal stage. And then you say, well, I'm not going to be able to scale with this thing. I'm going to have to add a headcount. And if I had one headcount, maybe that's okay. If I'm adding two, three, four, five headcount, it's probably the wrong answer to say I need I need a better tool in place because now I'm challenging my controls, my ability to be accurate, still close the books and save four days, and then give me all the detail I need out of that revenue results to satisfy, say, tax reporting, you know, tax returns with revenue by jurisdiction. I can get that out of a, a real revenue subledger that's tracking at that level of detail. I can't really get it when I'm making adjusting journal entries in a GL that doesn't tell me anything, right? So that's where the use cases tell the story. And I always say, look, let's build the use cases, you know, build them based on your profile. You may have five, may have 10, may have 20, whatever they are, lay them out and then challenge the vendor with, with custom demos to show it to you. And then you're going to be able to decide for yourself how good a fit the vendor package is. And if it fits, great, go for it, right? And if it doesn't fit, I say don't go for it, but, you know, that's me. I'm the consultant, right? <laughs> exactly. Now, do you ever get into a situation as well where you have some part of your client base really does understand the value of it, but maybe the CFO just thinks it's too expensive at, at the time or, you know, something like that? I'm curious your thoughts if there are any points of advice that you could give to listeners if they find themselves in that situation to help sort of push the decision maker over the edge to kind of understand where that maybe that additional technology might be needed and maybe something like an ERP or customizing an ERP isn't the right thing from like a cost perspective overall. I'm curious if you, you know, maybe there are certain things that you go through and compare for them or, or help give them advice on. I think every single one that I get pulled into, um, everybody has that challenge with justifying the cost. 
and I kind of don't know why, right? Because we'll go spend, oh, let's go spend a million dollars and put a new, you know, requisitioning purchasing system in. Well, that's great. You put controls around it. And in theory, it might save you a little bit of money. Maybe not because, you know, you, whatever, right? But here's revenue accounting. And my argument is it's probably the most important line in my, my financial statements, right? Maybe it's, you know, one of the top three, right? Yet the uh, propensity to spend money to automate that, and make that better is low. And it's just, I, I don't get that, right? A lot of times it's easy to say, oh my gosh, it's, it's a half a million dollars or it's a million dollars. You know, I'll add two headcounts to that or three headcount, right? No, do it for two or three years. Well, that's okay, but those people don't necessarily stay doing that forever. So you have turnover, you have challenges with make sure you time timeliness and accuracy and reporting along with it. So you can do it manually. I mean, I can do all of accounts payable manually too. Take it all out of the system and just do it on the old one right system, right? You can do that too, but we don't, right? Uh, I think the challenge is to collect the facts. I think the vast majority of the you know, CAO, CFOs, when you present them with the facts, you have enough sufficient detail, they will look at it and say, okay, it makes sense to spend some money and automate this. You know, it's, it's almost always more than I would think it would cost or I want to spend, right? But I'll argue that other areas are the same way. It's no different than most other processes, right? But, um, but it pays for itself, especially if it's a scaling model. So if you're moving into as a service, um, you're going to scale up a lot more and you're adding a two headcount this month. There's going to be another one before the end of the year. And they're going to forecast three more for the year after. And, and it's just, it's never going to end because now you're just living in too much spreadsheets, right? So the facts are, what's my volume? What's my frequency? How many hours do we spend on all these contracts every month? And if I divided that by eight hours a day, how many days should it take me to close month end? I know accountants all work 14 hours a day. If it's a holiday weekend, we'll work on the weekend. You know, it's kind of like it, it imposes a lot of the personal life from that standpoint. I think that contributes to turnover. And I think the automation, the spend there would reduce that as well. It, it's, a, it's a factor to go into the business case that says a little less reliant on, on just pure human labor to, to bulldog our way through month end every month and then have the data available for all these other purposes. That's a piece that I think is frequently missing is what is the value of that data to other areas um, that can, you know, like taxes is a good example to make. Uh, make it easier, more accurate, uh, less risk in, in what's being, you know, uh, reported from a tax income, pers- income tax perspective, et cetera. Totally agree. And I think there's something to be said, too, for uh, only because I've been in this situation, I'll say, unfortunately, in the past. <laughs> um, but when you do start to lose those folks, and especially when you have somebody so critical to the process, you, you're setting yourself up for a single point of failure sometimes where even just losing that one person who knows how, you know, all of those adjustments or all of those workaround systems or non-systems, I should say, maybe it's in um, a spreadsheet. But if one person knows how to do that and then decides to leave and you've only got hopefully a two-week period of time to figure out who you're going to hire, get them trained up and get them to be able to take on that process holistically, it's really difficult. So there's so many different moving parts that need to be somehow quantified in in a business case to be able to to justify that cost. The, the, the key person aspect is, is a real one because there usually are very few people that really understand it all. Um, and if that key person buys Powerball tonight and wins, <laughs> they're not coming in tomorrow, right? not giving you two weeks. He said, I'm done. I'm going up to Haiti, right? Um, <laughs> so, so that's a risk, right? And then, you know, just regular turnovers is a risk, right? Just having too few people that really understand it. And then you can overwhelm that one person 
with you know too much of that knowledge and too much dependency. Um, you know, I'm not sure they'll you know, maybe they're not getting career development because they're pigeonholed into what they do because they're the only one that can hold it all together, right? The five million row spreadsheet with 390 columns that you know requires a whole bunch of work on it every month. And if that person leaves for whatever reason because they weren't getting promoted, they weren't getting career development, you know, you need a backup plan for it. The automation will ease the backup plan. It's in a professionally managed system um, versus spreadsheets that aren't always professionally managed. So that'll that'll mitigate that risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think anybody in a spreadsheet that size would tend to go crazy and definitely want that Powerball win. So buy a ticket tomorrow. As we end here, I just wanted to think about the future of accounting. All right. Last question. What misconceptions do you see that your clients have most consistently, whether it's about technology or processes? What might that be? You know, I think a lot of people generally think the, some of the complexity of revenue accounting is a process problem, and I can change the process. I look at it as more of a data and a math problem, where if I have the data available and I can apply formulas to it, that those formulas are really my conventions. But these types of deals, I follow this convention, which conforms with my policy. And I, the more I can get into that funnel, the more I automate it. And now some people say, well, we just changed the process. I said, okay, we're going to change the process. We're not going to sell these offerings anymore. Oh, we can't do that. Well, then you can't change. It's not a process problem. I sell a deal. I close a deal. I book the deal. I fulfill it. I invoice it. I collect the money. I do a revenue account. Those are the processes, right? So it's not a process issue. It's a data issue. Is the data available to the accountant in a, in a reasonable time frame? Is it accurate? Is it consistent? So my results are right. You've heard my analogy on payroll. Hey, I run payroll. If I put up my time card in wrong, I get a paycheck. Is the paycheck wrong? That's not what I expect. But the paycheck calculated right, but I put my time in wrong. So, so it's wrong, right? It means that how do you fix it? I don't go edit my check. I got to back it out and redo another time card, right? So there's a lot of work to do that. Could not agree more. Very well said. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure chatting as always with you. And uh, hope to have you back again soon. Listeners, my DMs are always open to you. Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn at mdaigle and follow me for insights that help accounting leaders grow in their career, modernize their teams, and ultimately become more influential partners in the business. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.